Hello, my friends, and welcome once again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. It is the 26th day of August. We have today and then tomorrow should conclude chapter two from the audio version of our 2018 book, Righteous Saul versus Righteous Paul. We're going to jump into that in just a moment. I want to remind you that we are in Chapin, South Carolina tonight. We have a grace encounter there with our good friends in Chapin. They meet weekly and we prepare a video for them. They are the sort of test audience for these videos that are now behind the additional content wall at paulwhiteministries.com. We did the entire Revelation to Transformation series with them. We are doing the Between the Pieces series with them. As those chapters round out in Between the Pieces, we drop the whole chapter behind the the wall, the whole first book's back there. So uh, go check all that out. But this is the group we meet with via video, and then we meet with them once a month live. We look so forward to it. It's tonight, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Directions on our website. If you're ever in the area, come see us. This Sunday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Same thing with our local group. We don't meet with them via video every week. We meet with them personally, in face every week on Tuesdays, but we have one monthly meeting with them as well, and that will be this weekend. I'd love to have you join us for that. Okay, we're going to jump in. Uh, we backtrack just 20 seconds or so, about like we do every day, and then, and then head towards the end. We have enough material to do today and tomorrow, and then we'll be able to start Chapter 3 on Sunday's version of the podcast. Tomorrow we'll also tell you what's coming up on all of our platforms on Sunday. But for now, we go back to Righteous Saul versus Righteous Paul, Chapter 2. If you were a Pharisee, not only did you think you were better than others, those others thought you were better than them too. So concerning the law, Paul chose the greatest picture of keeping the law with which to identify himself a Pharisee. Paul had a right to brag about keeping the externals of the law. These represent what Paul did in the name of righteousness. Concerning the zeal or how I do it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Zeal is energy, excitement, emotion, dedication, drive, passion, or fire. There's probably no more promoted thought or ideology in the world today than that of attacking each task with energy, drive, or dedication. The church is not immune and, in fact, has embraced the concept of zeal with, well, zeal. We put on high-energy services with exciting music that appeals to various emotions. We promote dedication to the Lord, the family, and the local church. We build that church with a passion for the lost, a drive to win our community, and a fire for God. Zeal and its various iterations are never in short supply. Of course, none of the preceding are wrong. They simply are what they are. One could possibly even argue that a church, a family, or a world completely void of these descriptions would be too dull to survive. However, the balance and focus of these seem vital to the good health of the object. Consider the zeal of Saul. Insert all the definitions of zeal into his actions. They fit like a glove. Where did this lead him? By his own admission and the account of the book of Acts, it led him to persecute the church and ultimately the Lord Jesus. How could something so pure and wonderful as zeal end in such tragedy? Note that Paul is defining and defending each of the three positions central to his Judaism. Law, zeal, and righteousness. He's putting zeal 
on par with the law and righteousness. An interesting comparison, to say the least. And perhaps in Saul's world, things weren't much different than they are in our own. Not only did the rules have to be followed in order to make one righteous, but one should have passion and drive and excitement in keeping those rules. Bragging about that zeal may have been as much a mark in Saul's day as it is in our own. Zeal is a hallmark of our times. Our typical conversation usually includes how hard we've been working or how much, how much fun we've had or hope to have soon when we don't have to work so much, or how much we lament our work or lack of fun. In any case, passion and drive dominate our thoughts. And maybe that is how something so pure and wonderful can end in tragedy. It takes over as the dominant force. The zeal begins to eat us up and burn us out. The bush burns with fire, passion, and excitement until there's nothing left to burn. Zeal has ambition as its bedfellow. Both complement one another. Fire and desire not only rhyme, they burn. Ambition is a tough nut to crack, for we know it is vital in one form or the other for moving forward. Yet the Bible warns of it turning toward selfishness in Philippians 2.3. Anything with a warning attached should be handled carefully, but it doesn't mean it's inherently bad. Bleach serves a positive purpose, but there's a warning attached against drinking it. The fact that there's a chance that you might accidentally or purposely drink it necessitates the legal language against such foolishness. No one warns you to watch out for your joy, lest it hurt people. But ambition isn't joy. It's bleach. I mean, it can turn toxic and does the moment it turns competitive. Everyone speaks of the great thing, and the church is no exception. We choose a great church with a great pastor. The adjective insinuates competition by its very presence, for no one wants to go to the not-so-great church with an okay pastor. For Saul, he described his zeal by telling of his persecution of the church. He showed that his passion, dedication, and fire for a pure version of Judaism drove him. Zeal must drive. It can do no less. To work at the eradication of the cancer he saw developing. Those who accepted Jesus as Messiah were running counter to the leadership of Israel. Those leaders had seen Jesus die on a tree, the conclusion of which the Torah said made a man cursed of God, Deuteronomy 21-23. The conclusion that Jesus was Messiah who died as the sacrifice would signify the end to temple worship with its priests and blood sacrifices. One ending would lead to another. Jesus represented not only eternal life to those who followed him, but the end of a way of life to an entire tribe of Israel. If Levi is no longer the priestly tribe, what are the economic implications to a nation built on a form of theocracy? What happens to the tithe now that there are no priests to support? What happens to the temple, the Jewish heaven on earth, if Jesus is really Christ in you and the body is the temple of the Spirit? We'll stop there for today. Uh, We'll pick up right there tomorrow and take it on out to the end of chapter two. We'll also tell you about what's coming up on Sunday on all of our platforms at paulwhiteministries.com, both audio and video. The Sunday drop for Sunday, or the sermon drop for Sunday. Uh, We'll give you a little behind the scenes on that. All right, see you tomorrow. God bless.